Um, so Mark chapter 1, we are in our series in Mark, and we, we are just a, barely an inch in, and we've already begun to start plumbing the depths of just how amazing this book is and how awesome our Savior is. We're, we're struck with this question out of the gate, who, who is Jesus? Who is this man? What has he come to do? And we saw last week this prologue of Mark, and we encountered these messengers and their messages uh, showing us that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophets. We meet this John guy, this crazy prophet, speaking about who Jesus is and the authority he's coming with. We see Jesus being baptized and a voice from heaven declaring that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is God. And then Jesus goes into the wilderness. He's warring against Satan. He's taking authority over angels and animals. And this is the one that's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. What does, what does that mean? And this kingdom has come. His kingdom is at hand, and he is preaching this good news of God. And remember our first hearers of, of this, this book, this, this letter, were likely Christians in Rome. And these disciples would likely be suffering under the emperor Nero at this point. And Mark uh, would have recorded much of what this content from likely the Apostle Peter being with him, traveling with him. It's interesting how he'll find a forefront in our story today. But by this time, the, the, this, these first readers were encountering this. They, they would be in this context of suffering. Peter would likely have been in prison. He might have been martyred by this point for the gospel. So Jesus is, comes out proclaiming this, this message, repent, believe in the gospel, and right after that we begin to see this message, and we're going to focus in today from this message, these first disciples being called. And this is important because the theme of discipleship is embedded in the book of Mark. The, this word disciple, this Greek word for learner, is, is found 40 times in Mark's gospel. These first hearers, these readers, they're, they're calling to Jesus as a disciple of Jesus. Their calling was important. And for those first hearers, maybe hearing about Jesus for the first time, or maybe they are hearing more about who Jesus is as already Christians, how they came to Jesus, their discipleship, following Jesus, their connection to Christ, this is going to help them. This is going to remind them that as disciples of Jesus, what, what did it mean to be called by the Savior? How does learning more about Jesus' identity and these disciples call, how, how is it going to help their faith, their trust, and their worship in following Jesus right where they are? And so we're going to read our text this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 20, and, uh, and then we're going to pray. So let's look at God's word together. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fisher, become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants 
and followed him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning that we get to gather as your redeemed, your people, uh, as disciples called by you, Jesus. And as we reflect on these, these disciples, these first disciples called by you to follow you and their response, may, may we find help today as followers of you. May, may we be strengthened as the, these first hearers would have encountered this message and what it means to be called by Jesus, what it means to be followers of Jesus. So bring us hope, bring us faith, bring us help today through your word. Everybody said, amen. Well, we're going to consider a few things this morning. First, we're just going to consider the setting of what, what's going on here, how, what takes place and then we're going to consider a, a few other things. This, this mind-boggling way in which Jesus calls, who he calls, like why these guys, and this radical response to this call. Why, why did they just up and leave? And I think through that, I think we'll be able to encounter some things for our own hearts as followers of Jesus. And so let's, let's think about this setting. So this setting here, Jesus was passing along the Sea of Galilee. There's a map up here, but Jesus is likely on a shore uh, in the area of Capernaum, which is in that north corner of the Sea of Galilee, also called Lake Tiberias. It's not actually a sea, it's a, it's a lake. And the headwaters of the River Jordan was at the north, and it comes down and comes right in, empties into this large freshwater lake. It's about seven miles wide at its widest part and 13 miles long at its furthest points. And several of Mark's accounts will find ourselves revolving around this very area. It's a busy place. It's, it's full of business, the climate, the species of fish. Uh, it was booming uh, for, for the economy. And, and fish was a staple in this world. So they didn't have, it wasn't meat, right? It wasn't steaks and burgers and hot dogs. It was fish. And so uh, it would be sold locally. They also would export the fish here. Um, they would all through the Mediterranean markets. And so massive lake, important business, businesses sustaining livelihoods in the economies. There's a picture here in that, from the 1800s. It's likely what it looked like back then. Um, I had the chance of going to the Sea of Galilee in 1998. <laughs> so there's a, there's a boat. I don't know, the boat was called Matt, the Matthew or something like that. And uh, you could see I was there, 1998, rocking the soul patch and all. <laughs> it, was, it was glorious. So Jesus sees these four guys, and they're casting their nets. And these nets were likely around like 20 foot in diameter, they'd be circular and they would throw them into the water and they'd have weights on them and then they would just sort of canopy down, parachute down and catch the fish and they would then pull those up. Sometimes the guys would dive in and gather those and pull them in. So there's some casting their net, there's others repairing their nets and they're just, just average guys doing work. This is, this is normal. Part of the, this reality is that this, is a, this still is just a, it's a real place. I was there. You could Google it. You could see pictures. It is a normal place. You could Don't look on Google right now. Nobody Googling. <laughs> and Mark readers will be thinking, oh, yeah, I know that place. Familiar, normal, normal place, normal guys doing normal jobs. And this is, 
This is stunning. Jesus, the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, prophesied of old, ushering in the kingdom and glory of God, enters into everyday common life on a beach in Capernaum. The one who, who created these beaches, who spoke these fish into being, he's there now walking, speaking, calling out some fishermen's names, saying, follow me. There's, there's three stunning things I think we're going to encounter in this short narrative of Jesus calling his, his disciples, the authority of his call, the objects of his call, and the totality of his call. So here, our first point, Jesus says, follow me. Now, this would have been very strange. This would be very strange. Because you see, in this time, if you wanted to be a disciple, a learner of someone, like a rabbi, um, who would be a a teacher of the law, of the the Torah, you would find your aspiring, knowledgeable, qualified teacher, and you would come to him because you saw he was fit to teach you. So you would seek out that rabbi. You would find them, and all his benefits and the tutelage you would get, to best know and follow the Torah, the law. So his teachings, his knowledge of the Torah, more than the teacher as a person himself is what you're looking for. That's why you could jump ship and go find another rabbi who would be able to teach you more successfully what you want. And so the initiation was the student making the ask of the teacher. But here we see something very radically different about this this rabbi, the Lord, the master. The master calls out the student. The great teacher calls out the disciples and says, follow me. Follow me. He doesn't say, come and follow the Torah. Come and follow and learn the law. He says, follow me. Not to study the law, but to follow me. And they can't help but respond to those words, follow me. Now, if you remember, Mark is, is asking this question, who is Jesus? And we're beginning to see and be, get clarity that he is the son of God, the sovereign son of God. Divine initiation is breaking into the world. The authority of Jesus is being seen. And here we see the authority of Jesus speaking words and disciples can't help but respond and follow him. Moving the hearts of men to follow himself. And this was a relational reality connected to Jesus, not connected to laws, not connected to rules, not connected to ethics. Those would unfold in his teaching, but the call for these men were to come and follow him as a person, as a man. This wasn't diminishing the law or the Torah and what was not understood quite yet, but what we are seeing is a glimmer that they are following the word himself. Jesus is calling them to follow the word incarnate. This is unlike any other rabbi or any other teacher. And what is so stunning is that these students aren't wising up to how great he is or how great they are. Jesus calls them out by name, by mercy, and by grace. And what is is clear here is how uneventful this moment is. Remember our normal Capernaum on the beach fishermen. No miracle seen here. 
Nothing they had to prove to be called. Only a response from the voice of God to them. One commentator said, the call to the four fishermen is rooted not in the Torah, nor even in the name of God, but in Jesus' messianic authority alone. No supported evidence accompanies his call. No miracles or debate or moral persuasion. Unlike rabbinic aspirations, the fishermen are not required to do anything before they become disciples. They need not exhibit the knowledge of the Torah or pass a qualified examination in theology. What they need to learn and do can only be learned and done as they follow Jesus. And their response comes from Jesus speaking and then responding. His voice, his words. That's powerful. We are to see the power of Jesus, the authority of Jesus to call people to himself. When we read the Bible, and I'm guilty of this, we oftentimes just quickly insert ourselves into that moment. Oh, look, we're, we're current, quickly insert me in that moment. And, G, and what Mark is doing here, he's saying, I don't want you to think about the disciples at this moment. This really isn't about Andrew and Simon and James and John. This is about Jesus. This is about the authority of Jesus' ability to call people to himself. And creation and people can't help but respond to that authority. God calls Abrahams and God calls Noahs. He calls prophets. He calls Moses. And he calls Moses up to a mountain and he hides Moses in a rock and he passes by him on the mountain so that he could reveal himself, his glory to someone like Moses. Hidden yet revealed and Jesus is passing along the shore and he speaks and we start getting a glimpse of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. His words. And guess what happens when God calls? Immediate things start happening. Immediately they follow at once without delay. So what happens when God calls? Things happen. Things happen. God is speaking. Psalm 33, 8, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Jesus is God. Jesus speaks, things happen. His voice is the voice of God and he's calling people to follow him. As I consider that, and maybe you can consider that this morning as a follower of Jesus, Are you amazed today that he called you? He didn't leave it to you to get your theology right or to wise up or to look special. His strong, kind, authoritative voice broke through. His kingdom broke into your little concoction of a kingdom and you couldn't help but say, yes, yes, Jesus. That's amazing. And he calls, he calls us. He calls us regular Joes. And that, that's what's another stunning thing here. This, this the object of his call. This, the Son of God is speaking. And who does he find? Not just, as we've seen, random people. Not special people. The king of the universe is arriving. And his recruitments for his kingdom work is not scholars and the rich 
and the royalty or military generals. Jesus calls just normal dudes, normal people. These, these sets of brothers, Simon and who would become Peter and Andrew, James and John. Jesus' kingdom breaks in in among dirty hands of fishermen and ropes and nets and sun-beaten skin and sweat. Sweaty dudes. They're probably stinky, sweaty dudes. It wasn't in a temple. It wasn't in a seminary. It wasn't on a missions trip, which all of those things are awesome. But normal, normal life. We can get so up here with our ideas of what is spiritual and good, and we forget Jesus is right in here in the thick of normal. Yes, that's right. Remember our normal setting, Capernaum. I mean, Jesus could have easily been up in Duluth area in the canal park, so Duluth shipyards. There's large freighters. Have you ever been up there? These giant, you know, thousand-foot freighters carrying ore to Michigan and forth. He's walking on the docks, and he sees Sven and Thor and says, follow me, guys. Be my disciples. It could be right here in Chaska. It could be over at Clover Ridge Elementary School and kids are on the playground and you're a teacher on, out on the playground and Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. The object of his call are people. You, me, these common, untrained Fishermen, and he calls them and he summons them to follow him. And he only gives a little glimmer of this purpose, some segment of his purpose. He had plans for them. And what does he say? I'm going to make you fishers of men. So, fishermen, he calls to be fishers of men. Now, what does that mean? I mean, initially, when I read that, sometimes I think that sounds kind of negative, right? Like, you're going to get people in nets and drag them somewhere? I'm going to throw a hook in somebody's mouth and pull them out of the water like an animal? That doesn't seem, seem very helpful and kind. But there are actually some references to this in the Old Testament, this idea of fishermen. And one of them is in Jeremiah 16, 16, where God's promise is that he will restore Israel, his people. But at this point, Right in that moment, it is smack dad with a ton of judgment because God's people are wayward and rebellious in their sinful ways. And yet there's this little promise of both judgment and also rescue. And it says, behold, I'm sending for, for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. It was a promise that God was going to bring back his people to himself. And Jesus was calling these average guys to something spectacular. And he used their vocation as a metaphor to a missionary activity that they were going to do in the future. They would herald the gospel where both judgment and rescue come through Jesus. And the gospel they herald would be the echoes of Jesus' good news that we just saw in the previous verses. His voice resounding through the Spirit and others would hear his voice, Jesus' voice, through his good news and his command, and they would respond. These disciples would toss out these gospel nets, and it would be a gospel net that would spread out wide, not just to Jew, but to Jew and to Gentile, and they would bring them in to fellowship with God. God would restore his new, to his new covenant people to himself. 
But what was amazing is Jesus' call was just regular old folks. He was going to use these average Joes to do this awesome, amazing thing. And he was able to do that. These guys would be able to do that because it wasn't in their identity. It was in the identity of who was calling them. Jesus would call. And Jesus is saying, who I am, my identity will determine who you are and your identity. He is the one who speaks. He is the one who tells us who we are. Church, we have, to, we have to continue to get our eyes and hearts onto what he says we are. We are in a very confused world right now. A very confused world right now. And isn't it safer to have someone who is the creator of the world call our name and tell us who we are, our identity, rather than scrambling to try to find that on our own? It's just an endless dark hole with no bottom trying to find that out ourselves. And Jesus calls these disciples. He's going to do something with them. And we just get a glimpse of what that is. But this was with so much purpose. We can throw out those comments like, well, I guess I was just in the right place at the right time. Or maybe I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. This was not random. Jesus knew who these men were. He knew where they were. He knew the time of day. He knew what they would be doing when he called them. Jesus didn't accidentally stumble on them. It was a call from the sovereign good God, and he had purpose to transform these men. And he has likewise done the very same thing to us. Nothing is random. None of you are here randomly as followers of Jesus. It was by his great purpose and his grace. And we're going to see how that unfolds more and more. No anonymous disciples of Jesus. No accidental disciples of Jesus. And this call to go and declare this good news, it, there's a reality to our purpose as well, to go and share this good news of others. And this, we must remember this, seeing what Jesus did. Jesus called these disciples to himself. When we call people to know Jesus, we are calling them to Jesus, to know and trust in Jesus. We aren't ultimately calling them to ethics or rules or moral changes. I hear folks talk like this sometimes, or I see conversations online confronting non-Christians with unkind, harsh antagonism that expects their conversion to moral choices before a conversion of their heart by Jesus. We can't call people to that. We call people to know and trust Jesus. And all that stuff will follow. We're calling people to trust him. Ethics will follow. Transformation will come. But thank God that he didn't call us to that. He called us to himself. And with his grace, by his grace, he has done something in us. And he's changing us little bit by a little bit. So this was an act of God's grace, not on merit. And it is a call to something weighty. It's a call for their life. A totality of the call is seen. Jesus said, follow me. Now, if all we knew right now was that, follow me, and then we see the response, it's quite radical. I mean, these guys, they don't know where Jesus is going. Follow you where? 
Follow you to what? They had very little information, except that he was going to make them some sort of fishermen of men. My dad is a retired Air Force, and I grew up moving every three to four years. And the commanding officer would put on an assignment, and maybe a few of them. At times, they would not be a choice, and my, my dad would get an assignment to go to another location and serve. At times, he could request an assignment to go. And he requested a, to, an assignment to England. We would, I lived there. But he had, we had, he had all the information for us to do a successful transition. The base location, the job description, the home location, the dates of the move, all the resources to pack all of our house up and ship it to some foreign country, stipends to travel. All of this was laid out for us to go from our commanding officer where we needed to be. Jesus comes in and just says, follow me. Believe in me, trust in me, and follow. And by faith, these men step out and obey Jesus. Both pairs of brothers says they left and followed. We see repetition of that with both of these groups. They left and they followed. By faith, they would come to know Jesus and his plans. But it was unclear at this moment. I mean, it's likely that rumors were spreading already around the region about who Jesus is. Maybe these guys heard about that already. But Jesus says, follow me, and immediately they went. There was no promise to what that looked like. There was no guarantee of what was ahead. There was no signing bonus for what was going to happen. They just left and followed they left something and they followed Jesus. What did they leave? Well, Simon and Andrew says they left their nets, which implies probably they left a business, maybe their own business, up and left their business, their income. For James and John, we get this tiny extra detail of that them, they were in the boat with their father, Zebedee, and some hired men. So they were also leaving possibly a family business, their income, but they were also leaving family. They were in the boat with their dad. And one of the most important, vital things in this culture was your family connectivity. This would have been astounding, just leaving your family for this call. All that flowed from that, your protection, your provision, there was abandonment, a total abandonment to follow Jesus in this moment. They left nets, they left business, they left money, they left home, they left family, they left comforts, they left safety. Jesus was asking them to follow him and to leave the very things that even for us today bring the most security and identity in our lives. Peter Bolt, the commentator, says, Jesus calls them to reject all the things that bring security and identity to a normal human life so that they may find their security and identity in following him and where he may lead. They were to find security and identity in Jesus by following him, leaving and following him. This is total. This is total. There would have been a lot of gravity to kind of hearing this. It's not just one and a half hours on a Sunday morning. This was, this was life, my life for following Jesus. My security, my loyalty, my allegiance is going to be Jesus. And I'm going to trust where he's taking me. 
I'm going to trust the things that I lean on, my identity and my security, and I know it's going to come through the Son of God. What a faith builder for those first Christians hearing Mark. Oppression from Nero is real. They could very well end up in a coliseum with wild animals. Little little hint there when Mark just adds wild animals that Jesus was out unharmed by. Maybe a little promise for them, these suffering Christians. As they wrestle, I don't know what's ahead. I don't know everything of what Jesus is doing and what this call of following Jesus means. But I know that Jesus called my name. My security is in him. He, he's going to protect me and see me through. My identity is in Jesus because he, call, he called my name. His voice is the most important thing for me. Let it speak louder than Nero or my enemies or the world. He's going to take care of me. Security and identity in Jesus. Faith to follow takes different shapes. It doesn't mean that every disciple has to move away from their family to follow Jesus. But it, it may mean Jesus calls you to move away from your family. It doesn't mean following Jesus that you've got to sell your business and move to South America to be a missionary. But Jesus may call you to that. It takes different forms and shapes. Later, we will read about a demon-possessed man who's delivered. And he begs Jesus, please let me follow you. And he actually says, no, you can't. I want you to go home and tell all of your friends and family about what Jesus, what I have done in your life. In a scene very soon, we see Simon and Andrew actually back at their home. And we know that these guys are going to be out fishing again. So this totality has to do something beyond just location or business. It has to do with the loyalty and transformation of their hearts. Following Jesus is not to rules or some pact or joining a club. It is, a, it is joining Jesus himself. It was the obedience. Discipleship is obedience. They were obeying Jesus, but it was a response of their life. Not to rules, but to ownership of themselves. Lord, I'm going to leave what I have and what I want, and I'm going to follow you. The same is for us today. Our up and leave to follow Jesus means we, we forsake something in our life. We have to leave something to faithfully follow his ways. And those take different shapes and forms in our life throughout our life. That might be denying self today how you may serve your child or a neighbor it's leaving things like our pride or our anger or our comforts or our time it means Jesus is saying nothing is off limits when you follow me but for most of us our, our call to leave and follow is just embedded right where we are he doesn't rip us from our worlds our history or our culture or our jobs, those things just don't disappear, but he, but he transforms our heart and he presses us back right into where we are. Jesus is king, and, and Lord, you own what my life looks like, and I'm wanting to love you and obey you and follow you, and in that, I'm gonna seek to love and encourage others around me in everyday life. Fisherman, mom, programmer, AC repairman, whatever that might be. And oftentimes it's embedded in just the normal thing of life where Jesus is saying, follow me, love me.
So Jesus' call is powerful. Jesus calls unlikely normal strugglers, goofballs. We're going to see all kinds of problems ahead with these guys, and the Lord knows. And God's call through Jesus for us is to follow him with all of our life. And wrapping up, I want to draw attention to this one sort of thing embedded right here, this awesome promise in the call of Jesus. There's this initiation of God, but also comes this promise of his completing work in his call. Look what it says in his promise of what he was going to make them. I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus assumes the responsibility to shape these raw, sort of imperfect disciples. I will make you become what I want you to become. I'm going to make you become who I'm calling you to be. Mark's use of immediately is seen a couple times in our, our text. Immediately Simon and Andrew left. Immediately Jesus called James and John. And even though this call from Jesus is to follow immediately, the transformation that takes place when we follow him isn't immediate. It is slow. It is slow. Our transformation as disciples is messy. It's hard. Remember, these disciples, they didn't know what they were getting into, and Mark does a really good job of unfolding all their, their gaffes and failures. James and John will struggle later. They, after seeing the glory of who Jesus is in numerous ways, they get into argument about who's going to be able to sit near Jesus on his throne to the left or the right because they wanted to be so awesome. And then Peter will deny the Savior three times. We see lots of ups and downs, but Jesus was going to craft these men. He knew their blunders. He knew their weaknesses, but he knew they were in his hands. Always. Jesus was not after the most gifted or most ambitious or perfect. He calls, he calls, and then he shapes his disciples. And his call is out of mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. Never at one point did he think, oh, you know, I shouldn't have picked Peter. <laughs> Clyde would have been a much better choice. He didn't, he didn't miss the mark with you. He loves you. And he's at work in you. I will make you become who I've called you to be. He's at work right now, patiently, loving you, taking care of you, watching over you. We get a glimpse later of what happens when the disciples, after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit is poured out. They're fulfilling their commission as these fishers of men by preaching the gospel, Acts 4.13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. What were they astonished about? They recognized that they had been with Jesus. Jesus enters into the common world, calls common, weak, strugglers, idiots like us, and he loves us. Common men, bold, proclaiming the gospel because they had been with Jesus. 
Church, we follow Jesus ultimately through his word, and we, we can understand what that call means. But as life unfolds, the situation that come, comes our way day to day, year to year, is unknown. It's, it's similar to these disciples. Jesus, we know you, we, we love you, want to be near you and get close to who you are, understand who you are, and we know you're at work, but man, it is up and down at times. And, it, and we don't know what tonight is going to unfold. We don't know what next week will be. But we're confident of this, that Jesus is with us. We're confident with this, that he who began a good work in us will complete that work, carry it on to the completion to the day of Jesus Christ. That's the promise we have in Jesus. That's the promise we have as his disciples. He's going to see us through to the end. And it's a call for us to be patient with one another. It's a call for us to be okay when we, when we struggle and move back towards Jesus. Even slower to even just sort of shake our heads at ourself that we so easily just grovel and get into condemning thoughts of ourselves. Jesus is at work. Charles Spurgeon helpfully put it this way. When Christ calls us by his grace, we ought not only to remember what we are, but we ought also to think of what he can make us. It is follow me and I will make you. We should repent of what we have been, but rejoice in what we may be. It is not follow me because of what you are already. It is not follow me because you may make something of yourselves, but follow me because of what I will make you. What is he, what is he making us? He's making us more like his son. He's growing us. He's changing us. He's transforming us. And there's a promise that as we follow him as disciples, he will fulfill that work. And so our job is to follow Jesus. I mean, we just, we keep getting around him. We keep sitting at his feet and what he says and what the spirit would, would lead us to do. We keep thinking about his good news, the good news of the gospel. We keep orbiting around that again and again. We, we want to be with Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. We want to help one another follow Jesus because that's, that's what's so beautiful. This is, this is not a call to aloneness. It is a call to community. It is a call into following Christ and being with Christ. And it is a call to be with other people in that. So there are things we need to leave to faithfully follow. The Lord may be pricking your heart as something that you may to let go of today to follow Jesus more faithfully. But the thing is, we don't have to get all cleaned up and acceptable to follow him. We turn to him. We look to him. We follow him. And he makes us acceptable. And maybe you're here this morning and you need to respond to his call today. He says, repent and believe and follow me. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, would you do that? Would you turn from your little kingdom and your ways and would you follow Jesus? It's, it's, it's not going to be easy. You're going to have to leave something. You're going to have to leave yourself and your ways and your world. But there is much more joy on the other end of that because you're, you're with who you're made for. And that's Jesus. And maybe just an encouragement for you this morning. Are, are you resting in the work that he started in you as he called you as a disciple? his work? Are you, are you striving to try to make it on your own? That, that's, there's no joy there. That's depressing, depressing. And it's empty and it's hard. Would you just look to Jesus? Jesus, I, I'm not going to try to work and make this thing happen. I want to rest and look to you because you're at work. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus.
What a good thing to be called by Jesus. What a good thing to know that by his grace, when he said our name, we came and followed him. Let's, uh, let's thank him for that this morning. Lord, thank you that your calling wasn't random. Lord, we're not anonymous characters in some story. Just as these guys were, Lord, there was purpose. It was exacting. It was good. You, you see, you, you have, you saw, and you called, and you called by name. And Jesus, thank you for the, thank you for the goodness of that, that you didn't require us to get all, all fixed up and perfect, and we didn't have to win some, some award in order to get in. But Jesus, you won that for us by your cross, and you may make us acceptable, and you call us by name. And, and Lord, this morning, if there are things that we just need to leave and let go so we can, we can follow you more faithfully, Lord, would you just give us courage and strength and help by your spirit to let those things go, things that would grip our hearts. And, and Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that has not responded to the call of Jesus, Lord, would you, would you let them do that this morning? to believe and trust and follow you, Lord. And thank you for that promise that you will see us to the end. You who began a good work in us, you are faithful to complete that work. And so we rest in that this morning. In your name we pray, amen, amen.